Hi, and welcome to That Podcast, episode 12. I'm Dave. And I'm Bo. And we've got a couple of shout-outs uh, this week. Um wanted to give a shout-out to Mark Railton, uh, who came into our IRC channel, which is hash that podcast or pound that podcast, depending on where you're from. And Mark just had to say that he's enjoying the show and asked us not to give up just yet. So uh, we're not going to be giving up anytime soon. Uh, and thanks for your feedback, Mark. Yeah, um, um, Mark. Mark's website is actually a Sculpin site. Ah, uh, cool. I, I noticed that recently that I clicked on it, and at the bottom it said "powered by Sculpin." So, yeah, so double shout out for Mark. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. Um, this one was for Willem Jan uh, from Candidate. Uh, just because he gave us a he gave us a suggestion as a topic for the show. Um, he, he was talking about he wanted, wondered if we were going to talk about the new Docker announcements from the DockerCon Europe the other day. Uh, they announced that maybe four, or at least four new products. Um, I've only read the blog post, and I don't think we'll be able to talk about them today, but could consider it for a future episode. Uh, he actually jumped in and offered a, a small modification to the um, scope and talk title that I asked about on, I think it was the last episode. Um, and it, it was a really subtle change, but I think it was a really good one. So I'll, I'll put that in the talk notes. I don't have it in front of me right now, but I wanted to thank him for helping out with that as well. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. And um, James Porter as well also gave us some suggestions for recording today, mm-hmm. uh, which probably will get in, rolled into our topic. Um, just I think we're probably going to talk about them anyway. So it's kind of cool. Yep. Um, and... Just the other day, um, Anthony Sterling uh, sent out a tweet saying that he's really enjoying the Loosely Coupled podcast. And apparently, uh, he heard about it from our podcast. So that was pretty cool. So That is pretty cool, yeah. So uh, if you can hear a strange noise in the background, that's actually my dog, Murphy. Um, him being upstairs would suggest that uh, my wife and kids got came home and sometimes when they come home they just they, they we still have a, a baby gate on the stairs to stop rowan going up on his own and uh it stops murphy coming up the stairs he's not really allowed up um but sometimes when rebecca and the kids come home they just open the gate to let the dog come up to me which is their way of telling me they're home uh, nice <laughs> so I'll, I'll try and get him to be quiet <laughs> cool um, um shout outs yeah. reviews anything in any other podcast and where the no, news i think i think that's most of it uh i just wanted to plug the voicemail number again it's a plus one nine seven nine three five three zero one zero zero uh anytime anyone wants to leave comments or give us other suggestions for topics or whatever uh go ahead and call put dave's good work to use <laughs> yeah well that's actually um Another thing James Porter mentioned, he was talking about uh, maybe in the new year we could do um, one of our topics could be setting goals for the year. Mm-hmm. And he wondered if we could uh, take suggestions from people. So that's actually something that would be good to ring in on the voicemail if you wanted to ring in and uh, tell us about one of the, one of your goals for 2015. And we will put it on the podcast so yeah. to well, be able to hold you, hold you publicly accountable, <laughs> accountable for your uh, nice. goals. Yeah, I think that would be a good idea. Cool. Um, on the on the family side of things, uh, probably the most interesting thing that we're doing uh, is we're we've collectively decided to learn French. Nice. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, I'm not really sure where that comes from. I, I know that Beck's been super excited about learning another language, and she's uh, she, she took Spanish for a little while, I think, in school, and then she also on her own took German for a little while. Um, hmm after i don't think that was in college i think that was actually after so um 
Yeah, so we're we're going to pick up French. I I took a little French in high school. Uh, she keeps asking me, do you do you know any other languages? Oh, me sorry. I thought you said she was asking you. Um, so oh, I, yeah, she, she was asking me to ask you if you know any oh, other right, languages. Yeah. Uh, so I did French and German at school. Oh, okay, uh, but only until I was sixteen. Um, mm. And uh, I've picked up a little bit of Italian as I've gone. Um, Rebecca's better than I am. Um, you know, because my mum and dad have a place in Italy, so we go quite often. Um, mm. My mum's pretty much fluent now. Um, she's really good. She had some classes here in England, but it's pretty much self-taught. And she teaches Evie a little bit, so Evie can speak a little Italian. Not much, but little bits here and there. Nice. And if I was going to learn anything, I would learn Italian. Now, there was an I do have... Um, I usually sort of, about a month before we're about to go, I start picking up and trying to learn a bit more. There's an app. Uh, what's the really popular app called? We're using Duolingo. Duolingo, yeah, that's the one. Yeah. It's really good, and I love the business model behind it. It's fantastic. So uh, we, I actually haven't looked into it enough. Uh, what is the business model behind it? It's like recapture, but for translations. Okay. So they're actually the I don't I, not particularly at the lower lessons, but as you get further on, mm-hmm. they're actually using it to translate documents, as far as I know, or nice. they, that is in the plan or in the making. And mm-hmm. I think so. You know how recapture is essentially yeah. crowdsourced OCR. Well, this would be crowdsourced translation. Nice. Yeah, I did notice there was something on uh, on the web model. So, so I'm using the iPhone, so I haven't seen uh, where that might come into play on there. But I did notice on the 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 website mm-hmm. I, I logged into at one time, and there was like the immersion uh, the immersion section that was basically, hey, you can help translate these documents for us. Ah, uh, right, I see. So that's probably, that's probably what, what I'm thinking yeah. of. I've only um, sort of read interviews with the founders and such. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a cool little app. We're pretty excited about it. So um, I think Beck's actually, Beck actually has Spanish and German on it as well. And she's she's been kind of doing some research to see whether or not it actually makes sense to learn more than one language at a time. Um, hmm. And so I think we're gonna, going to focus on French. Um, at least for the foreseeable future. So um, I, I think we're both on like a five or six day streak of uh, getting getting all the XP we needed. So um, hmm. yeah, so that's that's something that will be interesting to see if we continue that into the new year. Yeah, I mean it's it'd be useful. It's a useful language to have. I think I am. Um, I always remember the first time I went to Italy to my mum and dad's place. Um, the the caretaker doesn't speak any English, and I don't speak any Italian. Uh, but he did speak French, and I knew enough French for us to get by. If you, if you see what I mean, yeah, so yeah. it was very strange talking to an Italian person in French, but it <laughs> yeah. worked. So cool. So our family things are not really, not not a whole lot going on uh, in terms of learning. Not like you, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we've um, had an interesting week because the kids and Rebecca have all had some sort of illness in resulting in coughs and uh, vomiting. Mm. Now, touch wood. I am touching wood. I'm. I, I've actually escaped it so far, and that's made me quite pleased. Not just because you know, it's still, I'm still sorry for them, but so over the last maybe year or so, I felt like I get every single little bug going. Um, whereas this time, I think I might have escaped it. So I'm really, really pleased about that. Nice. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, nothing, nothing much. Um, Evie's busy because she's. Uh, she's in a nativity at uh, preschool, mm-hmm. so she's been practicing for that, which is kind of cute. And uh, 
I'm also quite looking forward to tomorrow. Um, Evie goes to a dance class, and it's um, you know like ballet style dance. Mm-hmm. And um, when adults are the parents aren't allowed to stay um, to watch or anything, you know you have to drop them off and leave them. It's kind of like the rules. Um, except when you first when you first join the the class, you're obviously allowed to stay because the kids are nervous and whatnot. But uh, and then sort of every once every sort of term, they have one session where the the grown ups are allowed to go and watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's tomorrow. So I get to go watch her at her dance class tomorrow. Nice. Yeah. When they get to when they get to be older or sort of in the older classes, the reason why I think the reason why you're not supposed to go is because they're practicing for a production, and they want you to see the the finished product, if you like, rather than yeah, yeah, if you see what I mean. So mm-hmm. that's cool. Yeah, no other family news. Oh, it's Evie's birthday on Sunday. Oh. so we're having a party and things. Um, we've been really lazy though. We've paid like a party organizer to take care of everything for us. <laughs> nice. I know it, it is lazy, and I feel partly bad for it, but mm-hmm. um, it's just going to be so much easier than trying to. You know, you sort of have to organize a venue, then organize. Some catering and organize mm-hmm. some sort of entertainer. Um, yeah, they these kind of, these people kind of do everything in one package rather than if you right. see what I mean. Yeah, you know it's it's interesting. We went to um, uh, one of our our friends here in Madison. Um, uh, she was actually uh, one of the speakers, uh, Beth Tucker Long, mm-hmm. and her husband and Liam. Liam is I think just a year or two older than Luke, um, and they they had a birthday party this year that we went to so that was luke's first uh big boy birthday party if you will um and they sort of had the same thing they had like a, a place that they had it and there was like a, a magician and you know cake and everything brought in um it seems like a bigger production it sounds like a bigger production than things were when i was a kid like i don't really remember what my first you know five-year-old six-year-old four-year-old birthday party was like but it, that that sounds like more work than I would expect it to be to get a venue and hire people and get catering and maybe I just haven't thought it through or maybe I, I don't know that is is that pretty common? Um, I think so. I mean, it depends. I mean, when I was a kid, we'd have done our own catering, uh, mm. which is something we could do. But then, mm. you know, this was just this was an option for us just to have everything done. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, when I was a kid, we definitely had venues, so. I remember the one of the local sports places, uh, sports arenas, had a like a ball pool, mm-hmm. uh, like and a soft playroom, and you could, and they also put a bouncy castle up in one of the halls, and you could hire that as your party place. Yeah. And then they had like one room that was, I think, it was supposed to be a meeting room for, or usually a meeting room, and they just put that was where you could put your food. They didn't, they didn't do any catering themselves, so you'd mm-hmm. have to get someone else to do it or do it yourself. Um, but yeah, I think that's. I think it's fairly normal for me, but I think you're a little bit older than me, aren't you? Yeah, maybe. So yeah, maybe I, that's it. Well, actually, my birthday was like a week ago. Yeah, yeah just just a week ago. So um, the, the the ongoing thing for me is I don't know how old I am. <laughs> I, I I hate date math, and every time I do the calculation, I'm off by a year or two, one way or the other. So um, yeah, yeah. I was born in '78. So whatever, however old that makes me. I, uh, so you're, you're only four years older than me. So yeah. it, it wouldn't be enough to make any sort of cultural change. But yeah, I don't think so. I mean, I, I guess I remember we went. I think we went bowling one year, which I guess is a venue, if you will. And mm. um, I don't know. It it just seemed it seemed more formal and more planned than I expected. Uh, and there were also a lot more kids. 
And I think that was maybe something that was a little different too, that, um, like, like Luke doesn't have a lot of friends, if you will. Like he, he, he isn't going to like daycare or anything like that. Cause he, he gets, he gets to stay home and hang out with mom, um, and me. So I don't know, like, uh, it sort of almost seems like a, Hey, we're, uh, we're having a birthday party. And so we're going to invite his class. Um, so we don't really have something like that. So like, mm. if we think about who we'd invite, like right now, I can really only think of maybe a handful of kids that would come to his birthday party, if you will. Um, just yeah. because we don't know a lot. So maybe, maybe that's a difference too, is, is. Yeah. Well, we've got, um, we've got a lot of family in the area. So Evie has a lot of kids in her family, just, that are just her age as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and she does go to preschool. Um, my, see now Rowan goes to my mum's, um, but we send Evie to preschool two and a half days a week just so she is integrating and, mm-hmm. you know, doing that thing. Um, so she's got friends from preschool coming and how that works is, um, you sort of ask one of the carers, uh, to make a list of people she thinks would be a good idea. Uh, cause mm-hmm. obviously trying to get information out of Evie about who her friends are and things is like, it's yeah. like, like I think I think I mentioned it before. She, it's like speaking to a teenager already. I ask her what she did today at preschool. She says nothing. <laughs> I, I ask her who she played with. No one. And I'm like, oh, so yeah. it's really hard. So you ask the carer, and they give you a list. And then Evie did actually uh, vet that list uh, for us. <laughs> she was like, no, I don't want them coming. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know it's nice. unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah. Like the politics at preschool. Yeah. Um, so how, how old is she again? She'll be four on Sunday. Oh, okay, excellent. Yeah, yeah. Luke's going to be four at the end of January, so yeah. And yeah. um, she also Evie does um has swimming lessons. Uh, so we invited a few of the kids from her swimming lessons. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they're coming actually, and we did invite a couple from dance class, but dance class is a little bit. We don't really get to see them that much, and because because the parents yeah. don't go, mm-hmm. it's kind of strange. Like we don't talk chat to any of the parents that much because it's literally everyone's dropping the kids off and everyone's picking them up there's no sort of stood waiting around or anything like that yeah. so i don't really know any of the parents at, pre- at dance class um, mm-hmm. but at, at swimming lessons there's only four of them in the class but you sit with the par- you, you sat with the parents watching them so we've got to know them through that so yeah i think we're expecting about 20 kids on sunday which is going to be mm-hmm. mayhem yeah but it nice. should be fun one of the one oh. of the strange things we've got is um, so I, I don't know. I mean, how how do you deal with uh, Father Christmas in or, or Santa Claus in your house? So we say that we always give our kids or we've given Evie some presents to say they're from us, and then the others have come from Father Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, but the what the present we actually we've got Evie for her birthday is something she's asked Father Christmas for in her letter. Mm. And we actually, we've actually decided that we think she'll get upset if we give her this for her birthday, if that, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I think we're going to have to have a rethink about what we're going to give her, uh, what presents she's going to get on her birthday, and what presents she's going to get for Christmas. Okay. Yeah, we we don't do a whole lot with Santa. Um, we 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 call him Santa Claus over here. Um, but when I grew up, we did a lot of things with Santa Claus, and Beck and I kind of talked about it. And, um, we're kind of of the mindset that we don't really want to make up things like Santa Claus and pretend Santa Claus is real and all of that. 
Um, so we, we talk about Santa and, you know, the Santa's going to, uh, I, I don't really know. Uh, we, we, we just don't do a lot with it, I guess. Mm. So, um, there isn't this, like, he hasn't written a letter to Santa to ask for presents or anything like that. So we, we don't really do that a whole lot, but I mean, he's around, <laughs> you know, I mean, you can't escape Santa Claus at Christmas time. Like it's, you know, there's little Santa decorations yeah. and whatnot. No, no, so he's that, there. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, we, we haven't gotten into the whole, yeah. you're not painting yourself into a corner, which is what yeah. all parents do. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we've, we've actively tried not to, but it's hard for me specifically because, you know, that's, that's what I grew up with. I don't, I don't, Beck didn't, grow up with that so for mm. me I, I i don't know it's harder for me just because it's not what i'm used to and it's like well it was it was kind of fun but it was also kind of shady in a sense too so um yeah so yeah we we haven't we haven't gotten into th- that problem yet yeah oh yeah so so that's uh that's me and my family this week anyway cool well for um for me for my health stuff um i had an mri on monday which was interesting because uh, those things are really, really claustrophobic. <laughs> like, like it's really. Have you ever had an MRI or a CAT scan or anything like that? I haven't. I'm. Uh, I'm actually. I've been quite lucky in my uh, life uh, in terms of uh, health. I mean, I I pick up things uh, like I mentioned before, but nothing major at all. Um, the only time I've been to the hospital was um, split my head open once, uh, messing about with my brother when we were kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, broke my thumb um, playing hockey, and that's about all I can think of. Um, mm. Very little. Um, I was really poorly when I was a baby. I was born, um, I born. I was very early, and I had to be brought in a you know intensive care and all stuff like that. But other than that, that's I've never had any sort of scans. I've never had any. Mm. I've had a few blood tests, but that doesn't really count either, does it? Yeah. Yeah, I, th- this was actually, I think, my second MRI. Um, I actually had back surgery. Did we ever talk about that? You've mentioned back problems before, but never back surgery. Yeah, um, I actually had a, uh, and I used to remember all of the details of it. it. It was only like five or six years ago, but like the actual like hardcore medical things, like um, I had a total laminectomy on four of my vertebrae. I used to know which four. I don't remember anymore. Um, right. And beforehand, um, they actually weren't sure I was going to walk again um i'd I'd actually lost most of the feeling below my waist like i couldn't move my feet i couldn't tell when people were touching them Um, right and um so my recovery has actually been amazing so that's that's awesome i'm super thankful for that um but that was the last time i had an mri and i think when, when i think back to that whole period there's a lot of things i don't remember and between I want to say it's between stress and different medications. And I don't know, there's something strange about being in the hospital for something fairly traumatic, like life experience wise, that you don't remember it very well. Like there's certain things I remember clear as day. And then other things that I just don't have any idea. Like, I think I was at the hospital for like two weeks, but it felt like two days. Like, what did I do for two weeks? (laughs) You know, I don't, I don't remember. Um, so yeah, so I've, I've had, I think I had a CAT scan when I was a kid and that, that MRI, which I don't remember much about, but I remember this one <laughs> and it was, uh, it was really, 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 really freaky. Um, and they, they kept moving me further in. So at first like, oh, yeah, I can at least, you know, I can see out my head just fine. <laughs> they kept sucking me in every like 10, you know, 
every like two or three minutes, like they would like bring me in a little further and I was seeing a little less clear daylight. And I was like, oh man, this is just awful. So, uh, but the, the results came back negative, which is good on one hand because it means that I don't have anything super, super horrible wrong with me. Uh, but it's also not good on the other hand because that means they've ruled out anything, which means that they can't find out what's wrong. So it's basically just labeled IBS at this point. So, right. um, so yeah, I guess, uh, I, as of this week have, a confirmed diagnosis of nothing else, meaning I have a confirmed diagnosis of IBS. So, okay. Anyway, so I I brought that up a couple of episodes ago, and uh, things have sort of been okay since then. But um, I think everything is is done now as far as trying to track down what the problem is, and now I just get to work with trying to figure out the best way to help my symptoms, and hopefully, progressively over time, uh, make them just go away. So. Cool. Well, not yeah. cool, but at, at least you've had it done. That's why I, I, I think when we've talked about these things before, uh, even ruling things out is still ruling things yeah. out, isn't it? And it's a it's a yeah. process, and we have to do these things. So, yeah, yeah. So it, it's good, and I think that you know, as a family, um, we're we're not going to North Dakota at all, um, and so we're, we've been home now for two weeks, I think, and so we don't have any travel. Uh, we went. Uh, we went to visit family like two hours away for Thanksgiving um, and then back again. Um, but yeah, otherwise we don't have any, any major travel planned until the end of January. So it's good. It's going to be nice. It'll probably be better for us as a family just to chill and not constantly on, be on the run. So that sounds like a good. Good, good idea. Yeah. So, so yeah. Uh, and on that, uh, I don't remember if we had known by the last time, but I get to go to Benelux. I, I got selected to speak at Benelux. Cool. And, and you are thinking about maybe going? Are you? Yes. Do you know I'm, yet? I'm still thinking about it. Um, okay. To be honest, it's, um, at the minute, it's kind of looking at logistics. Like, um, ideal situation for me would be to get a flight on Friday afternoon. Mm-hmm. So I'm there for Friday night and Saturday night socials. And of course, there for the conference Saturday and Sunday. And then to get a flight back on Sunday evening. And I can get flights back, but I can't get trains back mm. to home from the airport. Um, mm. So I'd have to look at either driving, which I don't want to do, because then you have to pay for parking and things like that, um, or staying over the Sunday night as well and coming back on the Monday. And I just don't want to do that because it kind of, it's another night away from the family and it eats into my Monday, which should, which is when I should be working. So Yeah. Yeah, we, we looked at that too. We thought about bringing the family and that was kind of an open question, but um, I think two days ago now I bought my ticket. So it's just going to be me going and yeah. I'm not staying any extra days. I've kind of reexamined my conferencing uh, schedule for 2014 and looked at the things that I kind of wanted to change um, going forward. And I think I'm going to be a little more careful about which conferences I submit for um, and also how much time it takes um, I'm not going to try to stay extra days if I if I don't have to, and yeah, uh, both both on the money money side and also on the, the time away from family, and just time away from work because it's. I'll say that I'll take an extra. I'll get there a day early and I'll have a whole day and I can just work from there and that never happens. So yeah, um, yeah. So I, I'm I'm going to get well, there and I'm going to get out right away. So yeah, I mean. Another thing is uh, coming back, traveling on a Sunday in this country, can, on the trains anyway, can be a bit dodgy. Um, Sunday is the day when they try and do as much maintenance work as possible. Mm. So quite often, uh, 
you can book a train and it lets you book, but there's a little like warning triangle next to it or something. And when you hover or click, it'll say that part of the line is out. So you'd be doing a train to here, then you'd get out and get on a bus. Um, and the buses aren't too bad usually, but you know, it's not as nice as sitting on the train. Um, yeah. So I saw if I wanted to fly from one of the London airports, uh, on the way back, I'd have to take two trains and a bus, uh, which is just annoying, really. Yeah. You know, England England's a very small country, uh, yet sometimes it can be difficult to get around and things like that. On a, or definitely on a Sunday evening, anyway. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, um, I, I had a couple of just random things to talk about first, um, before talking about work things. Did you have work things to talk about? Sorry, what we? Did you have work things to talk about? Well, not really work work, um, uh, side project work. Um, so I did a little bit of work on RepoBox, uh, specifically the admin panel. This would be my third start. After two false starts, I've settled on Laravel as the framework. And Laravel 5 specifically, which is still in development, heavy development as well. Um, and because of that, I had a, I'd, I would have liked to have used Doctrine. There is a, like a, a bridge package for Laravel and Doctrine, but it was a little bit out of date compared to Laravel 5 because Laravel 5 is under development. And it doesn't look like the cashier thing, which does the SaaS billing type thing for Laravel, will be that compatible with a Doctrine or a data mapper implementation. So I'm just going to suck it up and use Active Record. Um, but yeah, so I've made headway with that. I have... Laravel 5, um, it's an interesting direction to take in. So it's going to come with a scaffolded user login, registration, forgotten my password, and a home sort of dashboard for the user. Mm-hmm. With a SAS bootstrap, as in, you know, libsas, as in CSS mm-hmm. processing thing. Uh, and for, font's awesome, and this all comes installed um, with Bower and I think I don't know if it's Grunt or Gulp, one of those two, hmm. to manage assets. And it's coming. It, there is actually there's actually a one of the commands it comes with is called Fresh, and that is a I think that takes everything away, so it gets rid of the scaffolded stuff and hmm. some of the integrations. Um, but for me, it stopped me making some decisions. I was hoping to use. Um, did you see that package Material UI, uh, which is a CSS framework? No. It ties nicely with React.js, and it follows Google's um, material design guidelines. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, I'd like to have a play with that. So in a way, I'm disappointed that I'm not going to get to play with React.js, the Material UI CSS thing. But I'm also kind of glad that Laravel, in a way, stopped me from messing about with technologies I'm not fully... Yeah aware of um mm-hmm. i know bootstrap well enough and i can i don't i'm not to date with the latest version version three i'm still on two for my project mm-hmm. but i know it well enough and i I can understand it and so yeah i've in laravel also i mentioned the cashier which is the uh, stripe subscription billing package for laravel there's also a a social um sort of um a wealth integration package as well so uh, plugging that in was easy so Basically, all the app, the repo box admin panel is doing at the minute is you can log in, you can register, and you can connect with GitHub so I can get an API key, which will be I'll need to um, 
build the repositories. Mm-hmm. Cool. So yeah, so I have actually made some progress. I think I spent about only about an hour and a half, two hours on it tops, mm-hmm. but it is progress. So I'm quite pleased about that. Also on the the sort of on that front was um, Raphael Domes tweeted this week. Uh, his tweet was it wasn't directed at me, but it was in reaction to having seen Repo Box, and it was something along the lines of um, if you're building something on top of Composer without giving back, you're despicable or something. Um, and I've since talked to him on Reddit and um, on IRC, mm-hmm. uh, and everything's cool. I don't have any problem with him, but um, what, I, what I was actually going to want to mention was kind of like how it made me feel and kind of disrupted my day a little bit. Um, I resisted from any kind of discussion or arguing on Twitter because I just don't think that's useful. Um, but I felt pretty rubbish about it. I was pretty down about it, and I found myself um, sort of watching Twitter to see what other people were saying, what he was saying further. Um, he actually put something on the Reddit um, thread from a month or so ago about Repo Box. And I replied within about 15 minutes, and then I found myself checking that to see if he'd replied there. Uh, and I was just kind of like, you know, a bit put off about everything. Um, I'd I'd started doing that 24 pull requests, excuse me, um, thing, you know, where you try and make a pull request every day, mm-hmm. like Advent. And it kind of put me in a downer about that. I was like, ugh, I, not only do I have to find something to do and to make a pull request, but I really don't feel like it now. I did it in the end, uh, just because I'm... I'd like to try and keep it open as long as I can. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and it kind of it really did disrupt my day, despite, A, not being directed at me. But, I mean, if you vaguely wave a finger at 5,000 followers and one of them fits the description, uh, yeah. you know, it, that's going to happen. But anyway, so I talked to him anyway. I mean, one of the things he, he was specifically mentioned is about, you know, how uh, Geordie's trying to, use Torrent to fund a bit of development on Composer. And he was like, well, are you going to give anything back? And the first thing I kind of said on Reddit was that this is a hobby project for me. I've put in, like, it's barely built, and I'm already getting, you know, people saying this to me. I had actually kind of planned on giving back, and my idea was that if it became successful and I did start making profit, then I would negotiate with Geordie or Nils or the project itself, as it were, to do some sort of sponsorship or to put some money back to do something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's quite a long way off. You know, I'm talking on the show about I've just managed to do an hour and a half to two hours work in the last three weeks on the project. You know what I mean? So it's not really yeah. my concern at the minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so that's where I'm at with uh, with Reaper Box anyway. So I, I had an interesting discussion with someone yesterday whose bias, I, I'm not going to talk about who the person was because I don't want to throw throw any weird things out there, um, but uh, I, I recently tweeted that uh, I'm really happy with Scrutinizer. Uh, it's been a really cool project so far. Uh, the back and forth with uh, Johannes and the team has been great. Like I'll, I'll put in a support request, like a ton of them. <laughs> uh, I'm treating it almost like a chat window because it's actually a little box at the bottom. You click it up and you can type something in and click send and magically they reply within, you know, maybe maybe a day or two sometimes, but usually it's like within an hour. Um, and mm. they've been really, really friendly and really helpful and given me lots of tips. So I was excited about that. I'm actually paying them uh, because I needed to have access to a private repository and I wanted to have 
um, a collaborator. There was there's some other reason that I had to be. Oh yeah, a collaborator. So those two conditions meant I had to be the third level because you can pay to have a private repository, but if you want to have a collaborator, you need to pay the the second level, second right. tier um, paid. So anyway, I, I've been pretty happy about it. It's a little more money than I would like to spend normally, but anyway, I just wanted to, to let everyone know that that I've been really excited with it. Um, so that sparked this other conversation, and this person's stance is that scrutinizer. The the, the problem with scrutinizer is that it's built on open source technologies and they're making money off of open source technologies, which to me was exactly the same thing that was going on with you and repo box, at least the same idea that, Hey, there's this cool tool. You're not doing anything really on top of it. Like you're, you're basically taking status and making it a service, uh, status and composer repositories and making them as a service. And in this case, it was taking, you know, mess detector, all of these, all, all these other tools and just wrapping a, a shiny bow around it and say, yeah, now you can pay me money to use these tools. Um, I, I don't agree that that's ever a problem. I mean, that's the point of open source software. There's a lot of businesses built on open source software. I, I don't, I've, I've seen this come up from time to time where people are upset when people try to build a business around open source. And I, I don't, I don't understand why that's I don't understand why people think that's a problem. Yeah, certainly. I think I think uh, Raphael's point was slightly different, though, because Raphael's point with Repobox was that uh, Repobox is potentially a competitor to Torrin. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Niels and, and Jordi aren't like Sensio. So Scrutinizer, you could compare Scrutinizer to Sensio Labs Insights, and there's not a person in the world who would say, oh, you should use Sensio Labs Insights because, you know, to support Symphony or mm-hmm. because Sensio, you know, have got 5 million in recent funding and they're a huge company. Yeah. Uh, and if anything, Johannes is probably the underdog in that battle, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Despite some of the work he's done and his open source contributions are excellent as well. Is, mm-hmm. is Johannes behind? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, some people just generally are averse to people making money from open source. Yeah, we all do it. I mean, if we use open source products to mm-hmm. work for our in work for our clients, in work for the companies we use, what we're, we're doing it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's another couple of things that kind of rubbed me up the wrong way uh, with the the tweets and whatnot on uh, on Wednesday or Tuesday, whenever it was. Uh, the first thing was um, the person who sort of mentioned Repo Box to. Um, Raphael, I can't remember who it was now. He said it was. Um, I think he said. I think he described Repobox as a blatant ripoff of Torrent Proxy. Now, there was a couple of issues I had with that. First, <laughs> I started working on Repobox. I had the landing page up before Jordi announced Torrent Proxy. Uh, as readers know, I actually spoke to Jordi, found out when I found out what he was doing, and decided to stop stall out on it and not bother doing anything for a while. Uh, so I didn't rip off Torrent Proxy in the slightest because I didn't know it was, I didn't know it existed at that point. Um, and then there was another tweet. Um, I think it was actually Raphael who said this. Who was he was kind of backing up a bit because he 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 said he said it himself on Twitter. It was a bit of a gut reaction what he said about you know building on top of Composer and not giving back. And I, I think he said something along the lines of you know with open source it, you've got to give back. It's not you can't just take. And again, I don't really think he was aimed at me, but because I was down about it and frustrated, I felt like it was targeted at me. 
And I don't really consider myself a, a prolific open source contributor, but I certainly contribute. Um, I, ma- I maintain mockery now, which doesn't take a lot of my time, but I have the knowledge that a lot of people don't about it and it do help support. And a lot of people use mockery. It was, um, DigitalOcean part of a post asking, thanking the, uh, the maintainers of the PHP's most popular packages. And, uh, Padraig, who, created mockery was number seven on the list or something because and they 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 create this list by analyzing uh packages stats and things uh, so a lot of people are using mockery and like i say it's not a lot of work on my part but i do maintain it and i also you know help with silex a lot um there's not a lot of work to do on silex but uh, i think i'm like third or fourth highest committer uh i help out with issues i help out in the irc channel uh, even just putting thumbs up on issues is enough of a contribution for me. I actually mentioned that to somebody yesterday. Just contributing on pull requests is a great start. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so even if I were to make money from Repobox, I still personally feel like I'm giving back in other ways. I don't have to, you know, there's a balance there, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If, it, if you well, didn't, I mean, if we were, if I was insanely rich, and I contribute to open source, there's a chance I might not be making any money back from it. Mm. But other than that, I think everybody's making money from open source. That's kind of the point. Yeah. Yeah, when we talked about it, I I basically threw Sculpin in, in the mix. And it would be really easy for someone to say Sculpin is a blatant ripoff of Jekyll. And it yeah. is. I mean, it, it, there's hardly anything created that is completely fresh and brand new and not based on some other idea. Um, Further, uh, it, I, I fully intend to find ways to monetize Sculpin because it's a project that I've been working on. I, I can't sell Sculpin itself, but I have ideas for services around it. And I think we've already talked about Liquid Forms on the podcast. I have at least two other ideas that could potentially be seen as leveraging Sculpin for, for making money. Um, and I know that other people are going to do that. that I, if someone else at some point is going to try to do something to make money off of Sculpin. That's, I, I have no reason to be upset about that. I mean, I'm, I'm putting it out there for the world. And if it happens to compete with something that I might someday make, well, all, all the better. I mean, someone else is going to do it. It's a need I see. And if someone does it better before me, great. Or even if they don't do it better, you know, if they do it before me, it's, it's not going to be a problem. I, I chose the license I chose. I chose MIT license for these things because I want people to use them however they use them. So I, I don't know. I, I, when I, when I saw that going on, I didn't jump in on any of the t- Twitter exchange either. And I just kind of like sat back and I'm like, I didn't really know what he was talking about at first. It wasn't until later that, that we, t- that you and I talked and I was like, Oh, uh, it was actually about repo box, which I, it never even occurred to me. Like even, even though it had said, if you're building something on top of composer, it never like repo box never even entered my mind. Like I was mm. thinking it was maybe some other weird thing that had come out that someone was like trying to sell in a, in a strange way, but I, I never saw repo box in any way as being something that would be bad. So, um, and I look at Sculpin and see the same thing. I look at tools like scrutinizer built on top of other open source software. I mean, even, even Travis, if you look at Travis, it doesn't really do anything, if you will, except run my PHP unit tests. Like, how can you sell that as a service? You're selling PHP unit as a service. Um, yeah, kinda, well, I guess. <laughs> it's, it's every same as everything. So, I mean, if if we 
we boiled Repobox down to what it is. In most basic form is hosted Satis. Hmm. What difference is it to me to paying me and my service to paying one of your engineers to set Satis up on a box somewhere? Hmm. Is your engineer going to do it for free at work? Because, oh, this is an open source tool, so you can't expect us to pay us pay you for setting mm-hmm. that up. It doesn't work like that, does it? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah, I I, uh, I, I feel for you. Um, I, I can see how that would impact my day. And it just, it was interesting that just two days later or a day later, this the scrutinizer thing came up as well. And, yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I I'm not sure how much of it has to do with bias for people who either try to make money doing similar things or are otherwise involved in that same space. Because uh, I know that Raphael does a lot of work evangelizing Composer and all of that, as do I. Um, and but but on my side, I I can see people making Composer into a business model, and you know, I, I don't I don't see any problems with that. Where I can see, I, it's clear that some people do see that as a problem and. Not sure where that comes from, so I'd I'd like to maybe talk to some of these people a little more and find out w- what the the root underlying cause is for the concerns or the issues. Definitely. Um, so on on Scrutinizer, I've been using Scrutinizer for uh, working on a project that I've fired up with the Minimal Symphony Two distribution that you mentioned. Um, Bender, I think it's Bender yep. and Iberly's, um, and it was actually really easy. I didn't. I didn't end up using his repository. I just copied the files that I needed um, in there, and I hadn't done anything like that before. So I was. I was pretty excited. I'm pretty happy with the way it, it's worked out so far. The only kind of sticky bit that I ran into was with getting testing running, um, trying to get a test environment set up, and I ultimately am using the test environment, but I'm not doing a different configuration for test. Um, but that that wasn't wasn't really clear how to do that. From from the from his blog post or even in the repository, it clearly hadn't been set up to do testing in the past. So um, yeah. that was a that was a little uh, unsettling, and then I got kind of stuck on a rabbit hole um, with the uh, the PHP env thing. Yeah, I remember. I recall we talked about it, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, and it's it's a really cool thing. I I, I really like the way that um, they're thinking about that with the environment controlling everything, and I. Um, I actually used to do that a lot more before Symphony, before I started using Symphony. I don't think we've talked about this, but my first pull request contribution to Symphony was to try and change how they did the environment stuff because I used to use that so heavily. And that was the the pull request that got like shot down by pretty much everybody because whatever it was that I had suggested just was like, no, that's not how we do it. Um, so, um, so I was really excited to kind of go back to this uh, environment configuration sort of thing which was kind of neat um yeah the only downside that i've run into and for anyone else who's who tries to look into this um the parameters that you get from the environment cannot be treated as other types so for example i was trying to set um, true i was trying to set a boolean flag for whether or not the sqlite repository could be in memory or not um and that that's like a it's basically a showstopper at this point there's no way to actually do that uh, the other problem was that um, environment variables cannot override pra- uh, parameters that are defined in the configuration files, which seemed like a pretty big limitation to me. Um, I had never really considered that before. There's actually an open pull request trying to find a way to fix that. 
Um, so if you're trying to use php.env with Symfony, your only real option is to not define default parameters in any of the configuration and just put it in to php.env, and that's the only place you can have it. So that's my, my little Sorry, report on that. Go ahead. Hang on. Yep. So can you not, you can define parameters in the config files, right? Correct. And you can override them in the config files, but not in the parameters file. Um, I think you can override them in the parameters file, but the environment variables will never override anything that was in any of the configuration files. Right, so the the environment variables only override what's in the parameters file. No, they don't so, override anything. They can never... If you define a parameter in parameters, you cannot override it with the from the environment. So what do the environment variables override? I don't understand them. They don't. They in, they're just another source for injecting parameters into the configuration. Oh right, okay. Oh, that's really rubbish. I didn't realize. Yeah, no. There's it was it, it. I actually went into the Symphony channel and asked, "Can I do this?" And someone said, "Yeah, sure. You can set set environment variables from the environment, or you can set parameters from the environment." Um, and I said, and "It'll override it." And they said, "Yes." And it took me like two days to realize that some of the weird things that I was seeing was because it wasn't overriding. Right. So. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I remember. I remember you when you were having the problem at the time because I, I, I had a weird issue as well. I'd opened uh, one of my tests. I was opening uh, a transaction and not closing it properly, um, mm-hmm. which obviously causes trouble. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, so I mean, obviously, I work in my my main project is a Silex app, and the config is my own uh, mm-hmm. creation. And um, yeah, I have it so I can cascade on top, and environment variables are the last thing that are applied so yeah so the... load load a yaml file first that is the master configuration mm-hmm. then an environment specific file by name mm-hmm. um and then you can have it load further files so if you i think i have i think it looks to see if there's a com- an environment variable called config o- override mm-hmm. and if that's there it'll load the yaml file that is the contents of that environment variable so that mm-hmm. allows me to do really flexible with one com- one uh environment variable i can load in a whole new yaml file uh, that'll you know mm-hmm. set up a lot of things at once rather than having lots of environment variables mm-hmm. uh, and then i can apply environment variables over the top of all of that as well yeah um so the the problem with uh symphony's implementation is that with the dumped container or the dumped yeah build thing it dumps the parameters as well so yeah. the environment gets dumped at that point. So it can't then take in... So like if I dump the container and then I change the environment variables, then the dumped container still has the old values. Yeah. So they just don't even allow it, apparently. Do they so, Do they, Do they? they inline the parameters, though? Or do they, are they... Because you, you can use a custom uh, dumped... Can you, or can you use a custom dumped container class? I don't know. Do you see what I mean? You I'm could not make, sure. You you could look to use a, a custom class that makes the parameters mutable, mm-hmm. yeah, at least so, for a short amount of time, right, or, or something. So so all the, the the looking into it that I did, um, the 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 fix that Benjamin came up with was somewhere in the register container configs. Um, it gets the environment variables and then injects them at the 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 point where it's still in the builder process and you put that in app kernel um but that only works the when the when it builds the container 
So that only gets that only happens when you either clear the cache or flush the cache or um, some configuration file changes. But if you change the environment files, um, it doesn't do that. So you could change the password to your database in your environment file, mm-hmm. and it won't cause a rebuild of the cache. So I, I started looking into um, another. That, that, me- go ahead. Just before you go on, I'd, I'd say that was a reasonable compromise. I mean, yeah, I I cache all of my config mm-hmm. for on production. It's cached for five minutes or something. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and I know that if I have to, if I need to change something then i need to blow that cache so yeah yep so i i i ultimately decided just to accept that as a limitation and so now i know that if i make changes in dev then i have to manually um like even on my local machine i just have to remember that those changes won't come into effect until i flush the cache um so one of the things that i looked at doing was building basically a php.m uh configuration because you should be able to set up some way to register with the cache and or register with the loader to see whether or not everything is fresh because that's what Symfony does in development that if certain files have been changed since the last time uh, the container was loaded, it will treat it as if the cache should be refreshed. Um, that just seemed like a lot of work. I, I imagine I'd probably spend half a day at least coming up with that and I didn't have the time. But that is something that I would be interested in looking at doing down the line um, even but, but, if it's just a bundle that registers another type of uh, container configuration so that if my .m file changes, then it would re- um, rebuild the cache. So yeah. but it was that, just going to be too much work. <laughs> but even that won't um, work if you actually use actual environment variables, yep. will it? Yeah. Right. So it's 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 a really cool um, project, and um, I, I think it would be a good starting point for a project. So I, I really like the minimal Symfony 2 distribution. And the whole .env thing um, introduced me to the uh, 12factor.net. Have you looked into that too much? Yeah, you see, now I don't like the whole shenanigans about the .env thing. Mm-hmm. Yes, it works for the 12factor app, but mm-hmm. you can make you don't need .env to make. The, the nice thing to me about the .env thing is that the environment variables and any application can read them. Yeah. Uh, what I described to you then as having um, an environment variable that points to a YAML configuration file to me is no different at all from having a .env file. Mm-hmm. Apart from, you know, well, there yeah. isn't any. Do you see what I mean? There's yeah. The whole thing with the twelve-factor app is that um, you can control it through the environment, right. and if you can do that by pointing to a file, then mm-hmm. you can do it, can't you? Oh yeah, I, I I just meant in general. Um, I I feel like I need to look at the twelve factor stuff more because it looks like an interesting thing, and I, I haven't looked into it before. Have you looked into it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I've been through it um a few times, and I actually did a. I went through it with my um with with Daniel with our weekly uh, meeting thing. Okay. At yeah. some point, and it's on my list of things to follow up on just because I, I hadn't really heard about it before this um, working with it with this. And the only time I've seen people talk about that now is anytime I'm looking at the symphony two um, bugs with the environment or not the bugs, but the things that you don't expect, like you can't override things. Um, so I've seen at least two different people now link back to this 12 factor.net. So I feel like I need to look into it a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but I think that's pretty much it for that um, for that project. Uh, we mentioned Palantir 
uh, last episode for the first time, and uh, uh, they're just, they're super excited that that we want to talk about them or that I I want to talk about my my work with them. Uh, the only downside is that uh, we made a little uh, problem with the link in the show notes. Uh, we actually pointed to the wrong palantir. Um, there's actually there's two palantirs. I'm not going to go into all the details because I don't know all of them, but uh, specifically this was palantir.net, um, and so. Uh, Apparently they they this naming collision happens relatively frequently. So from now on, I'm going to try to refer to them first in any conversation as Palantir.net, and then from that point on, I will talk about them as Palantir. So uh, that project's been going pretty well. Um, we actually had a uh, a bit of a don't want to say an emergency, but um, right before Thanksgiving, the Thanksgiving holiday, there was like a uh, a big increase in the amount of work that needed to get done. And so they actually pulled in a bunch of extra people. So I got to work with a bunch of extra people last week, which was pretty cool. Um, and just seeing how much productivity happened was, was pretty awesome. Their, their, their team works very well. I'm pretty excited to uh, be working with them on that. Yeah. It's nice to work in a, a well-oiled machine, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And they're, they're as close. I'm not sure which flavor of agile they're using. And I never really know. Um, if it's Scrum or Agile or how those two things relate, um, because I, I just haven't studied it that much. But it's been really cool seeing how they they manage their projects and assign resources and um, yeah, all of that. So it's been a, it's been a lot of fun getting getting more uh, team experience with some people doing some some things and in ways that I've not been able to experience because I've been working by myself mostly f- for the last ten years. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so that that's it for me for for work stuff. Uh, I had a uh, a project that I wanted to talk about though. Um, have Have you seen much on Puli, P U L I? Um, yeah, I'm. I well, I haven't followed it recently, but uh, I mean, I I remember when Bernard sort of sprang it up. Um, yeah, yeah, he's on. been talking about it a lot more lately. Um, so that, that's going along, and I'm actually really bummed that I have not done anything at all with that project. Um, it's uh, it's something that I have a pretty strong feeling about. Um, I, uh, I proposed something based on my PSR zero resource locator to Fig, and um, I kind of wanted it to be bundled in with PSR four, and I kind of didn't want PSR four to be what it was. Um, I thought that what we needed was a generic way to locate resources in PHP, and that's basically what what spawned this discussion with with Bernard and Bernard kind of went off on his own and made Puli, which is a pretty close representation of what I would like to have seen with mm. with what I've been doing. Um, but yeah, I, I I want people to to see it and use it because I'm really excited about the ideas behind it. So if you haven't heard of Puli before, um, check it out. It's, uh, it's uh, Web Mozart, I think is his GitHub link, maybe. Oh, wait, yeah, no. I think so. Yeah. Um, he actually has it on its own repo- its own uh, organization, organization, which I think I'm on the organization, but it's uh, P-U-L-I slash P-U-L-I. So if yeah. anyone is excited about that or wants to look into it and haven't heard about it before, uh, definitely check that out. I think that it, given enough time, that's going to be uh, a pretty cool thing for resource management within PHP. So yeah. it's something that so, we've sorely needed, I think. Yeah, so what Bo means by resource management is um, if you're thinking about... Um, how uh, say bundles are pulled in so if a, a bundle ends up in your vendor directory uh, but the code is still able to 
locate things or your main code is able to locate resources within that bundle using something like pulley rather than hard code hard coding paths am i right yep yeah i think the uh the best example that i had for for where this was needed was um if you have say uh doctrine uh doctrine metadata that you want uh like the uh the mapping configuration in in xml let's say or if you have like yaml configuration for um your mappings and you ha- you're distributing both the odm flavor and you're distributing the uh, orm flavor and you have them in different packages um there's no easy way currently to know the full path to where those are are, are living because if you're bringing them within composer then they're going to live in vendor package or vendor uh, vendor name package name and then some some directory which who knows what it's going to be uh, you don't know where that's going to live on disk um, so it made things a lot more complicated trying to configure where your mappings are going to be you'd basically have to hard code for the path for your environment or do some weird guesswork and hoping that the person actually didn't override the vendor directory uh, because composer allows you to install to a directory other than vendor um, so this would just be a way to say, hey, you know what, I want, this is my package name, and this is the resource I want, and then um, it knows where to find the the root for that. Basically the same way that PSR0 works for classes, except this was just dedicated to um, any sort of mapping that you wanted to do, rather than just for, um, name, uh, just for namespaced classes. Yep. So yeah, I, I, I'm pretty excited about that, to see that actually getting traction. Pretty much any time I see someone talk about it they're like wow this is awesome and i'm like i know <laughs> i hope i hope more people uh get get involved and start seeing how cool it will be and i hope that i actually have the time to uh try and use it myself so that i can start contributing back to that because uh, i think it's i think it's going to be really cool for people to be able to use that um yeah so that, that was i was one project i wanted to make sure and talk about it's not really work related but it's something that I feel personally interested in and personally involved in, even though I haven't been able to put much code in. Bernard's a, a machine. Um, yes, yeah. <laughs> like he he like threw all of that up in like like the the initial version. Like I, it was just hard to keep up. Like I I found out about it like the day he created the repository, and then you know two days later when I finally had a chance to go look at it, it was basically done. At least that version of it. And I'm like, wow, there's nothing left to do here. It's 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 good. So. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, if anyone doesn't know, Bernard is uh, it's Bernard Shushek, as mm-hmm. uh, Jeremy McCullough says it. And uh, <laughs> uh, I, I know him mainly for he's responsible for the Symphony Form component, which is a Goliath in itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and every time I see a pull request from Bernard for the form for the form component, it's a giant one where he's refactoring <laughs> loads of stuff. He, uh, so yeah, he knows yeah. what he's doing. Yep. Yeah, it's good stuff. So. Yeah. Um, so, the, the, uh, on the personal project side, uh, about the closest thing that I have to a personal project that I've done anything on recently is um, the I worked on building a couple of landing pages slash shopping cart pages for uh, Rebecca's uh, artwork. Um, it's uh, it's uh, ninjagirl.com. N i n j a g r l. dot com. Uh, it's the girl without an i. Um, and I I decided to use Foxycart. Uh, have you used FoxyCard? Do you know much about FoxyCard? I haven't used it. And I only know about it because um, I spoke to Luke in IRC in the past um, in the Silex channel. And um, I'm, 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 quite a, I'm quite the fan of uh, 
hypermedia mm-hmm. APIs and things, uh, and Luke's quite a big proponent of that, so I've read quite a lot of this stuff, and he's linked to me certain things to read in the past and things like that, and um, I always use the Foxycat API as an example to show people uh, an example of a hypermedia API, particularly because it has the HAL browser public mm-hmm. for their sandbox or something, Yep, which is really cool to show people this is why we do hypermedia and this is, you know, this is a really good example, mm-hmm. but I've never actually used it. So, yeah, I, I've looked at it off and on, um, and you know, I I still have pretty deeply ingrained non-invented here tendencies, and so my my first reaction is always to, well, I'll just build my own shopping cart. Um, but I've been telling Beck I was going to build my own shopping cart for over a year now, and I just had never done it, and I, I was getting pretty anxious to try building, um, try try some of the things that I've been reading about and exploring over the last year or so on building audiences and trying to trying out like ads and get trying to see if i can drive traffic to her website um which is pretty small scale stuff it's a it's kind of a neat sandbox for me but it's also helpful for us as a family and for her in particular if we can get some sales so um i've been looking at that for a while and finally i just decided you know what i don't even need to build the shopping cart like um if foxy card is all that it's said to be I should just be able to use it with the Sculpin site. So um, there are now three statically generated pages on ninjagirl.com. Um, the the shop.html, and then I have two prints up currently um, that are generated with Sculpin and integrated with FoxyCart. So um, I would say that the, um, the, the test so far has been a success. There have been a, a few rocky parts with, with FoxyCart as far as some of the configuration stuff. It's a little harder to use than... Um, it's it's not harder to use their their philosophy is a little different than Etsy, which is what Beck has been used to. So like the shipping options with with Etsy were all flat rates. So if you buy this item, it's going to be this much if shipped to the states, and this much if shipped to Canada, and right. this much anywhere else. Um, which has been kind of nice, but it's also not perfect um, because sometimes you end up getting someone who wants to get something shipped to Yugoslavia or something, where you know the shipping rates are going to be four times as much as the the international shipping rates she's normally used to. Um, so we, I was looking forward to the live shipping rates from FoxyCard, but they don't take into account size. Uh, they only take into account weight. So we're shipping prints, which means envelopes. And so none of the, the options work out of the box. Um, for example, if we choose first class as a shipping option, um, it comes back as 96 cents because that's an envelope. And... Um, the, the flat rate shipping envelope is like five seventy five or something like that, but that doesn't fit the big prints, the eleven by fourteen prints. So oh, yep. the eleven by fourteen prints should have the flat rate shipping for for that size, which should be like twice as expensive as the flat rate shipping, uh, but it doesn't show up that way. But in fact, both options show up. So if you choose either size print, it does the live shipping rates and says, oh, the flat rate is five ninety five, which or five seventy five, which isn't even working which isn't correct for a 11 by 14 print, but then it also exposes the 95 cent option that you can right. choose. So you can choose either. So it's been, it was, it was a little tricky trying to figure out the best way to do that. So we kind of did some things to make that work. Um, but yeah, otherwise everything's been really great with them. Um, I, they, they have the HMAC uh, verification on the products. Cause that was one of the first things that you noticed. It was the first thing I noticed that since it was just a, a simple form link. It used either a form submission or a link submission. You could just change the price. <laughs> you, could, mm. you could make the twenty dollar print be five dollars or two fifty. Um, 
which apparently until ver- one of their versions that was that was an actual problem. Uh, but since then, they introduced the HMAC validation so that you can't mess with the link. Um, but I uh, wasn't calculating these things on demand, really, because it was it was in the Sculpin site. So it wasn't like I could um, have a database generate these things. So mm-hmm. I created a um, a Twig extension, which I'm probably going to try to release, that basically creates FoxyCart links. You pass in the values that you need, and then it generates the links for you. So... Um, and that was kind of tricky because you needed to have the the API key stored somewhere. So in Sculpin's configuration, like there's uh, the the Sculpin Sculpin kernel YAML, there's going to be like a, a tweak extension where you can paste your API key in or use a property or whatever. Um, but yeah, that was a lot of fun trying to figure that out. And so my my contributions to uh, side projects, I probably spent maybe five to six hours on that leading up to Thanksgiving. Um, so that's been a lot of fun. Uh, and I kind of wanted to use the, the Foxy card example as the, um, kind of the lead into our topic on, on making the time. Um, because, uh, Luke gave the, uh, gave not the, but one of the keynotes at PHP world on how Foxy card came to be. Have you ever heard his story on that? I haven't, no. Um, it, it's really long, and I don't want to, to actually talk about it, but basically FoxyCart started out as a side project, and it was a really good example of uh, building something that people can use right away and get customers right away and provide value right away and then build it over time um, to the point where now he was able to quit his job and basically work on FoxyCart full-time. Um, and he had a lot of really good tips for that, like don't do that before you have money. <laughs> like it should be should be bringing revenue in but they also had enough money saved that it w- was okay for them it was tough but it was okay for them to to have him basically focus full-time on this for a little while um, yeah but yeah uh before that though it was all nights it was coming home at night and work, working from 10 until 2 a.m or 10 until 4 a.m every night to try to get this stuff done um and building out his business and his product in his own time um, late at night. And he talked a lot pretty honestly about kind of the struggles and the problems and uh, almost giving up on it a couple of times because it was too hard and he was too tired. And um, I don't know, a lot of the stuff that you and I talk about, like how do we make the time, you know, repo box, you spent an hour and a half over the last three weeks on it. And it's taken me a year and a half to be able to spend five hours to build back just one simple landing page with a shopping cart on it. Um, It's, it's, it's rough. It really is rough. So anyway, um, I, I thought after I came back from that talk, it was very, uh, it was kind of encouraging, but also like, ah, yeah, it is hard. And I, I should feel okay with how hard it feels sometimes. Uh, that was, yeah. And you've got to, um, it gets you down, doesn't it? But at the same time, you really have to think, you know, Mm-hmm. We're doing 40, 50 hours a week work, as in employed, paid for work, mm-hmm. and then to fit in these other things. So, I mean, realistically, it depends where you want to prioritize them, doesn't it? So, sadly for me, my side projects pretty much come bottom of the pile, um, along with open source work. You know, work work has to come first. Well, I say work work has to come first. Now, family truly comes first, right? But I have to do my work. So 
you know, if Rebecca's taking the kids somewhere and I could go with them, but I really should be getting on my work, at some point I have to say, no, I'd really love to come with you to do this thing, but I need to do my work. As in, and I say work, I talk about employed work, as in what I do for my employer. But then the other times when there's a toss-up between, could I go play with the kids? Could I take the kids to the park? Could we go out for dinner? I'm always going to choose going with the kids over the side project. Do you know what I mean? And that just does not leave much time at all. Um, There's things that have to be done, which is work. I have to play with my kids at some point. I have to spend time with the kids. I love spending time with kids, and I do think you have to if you want them to grow up to to be the kind of person you'd like them to be. Um, I have to do jobs around the house. Um, And like I say, so that leaves things like side projects and open source work as well as the lowest priority thing, which means they kind of quite often don't get done, um, which is frustrating. But you just have to keep telling yourself that, that you are doing the right things, even though you're not getting those things done. Mm. Or I think so anyway. So I thought, um, so like an average day for me, like time-wise is really weird. So the kids, my two kids, usually, well, at least one of them is up at six o'clock. So I usually get up at six with the kids. Um, Rebecca gets up at six and starts getting ready for work. It takes Rebecca quite some time to get ready for work um, because she likes to be presentable for work. And, you know, without being chauvinistic, women do tend to take a bit longer to get ready for things like work. Um, so I play with the kids, we watch TV, we have a cup of tea, we have breakfast, um, and then Rebecca's nearly finished getting ready for work and it's time to get the kids dressed and things. And then Rebecca will take Rowan to my mum's and then I'll take Evie to preschool. So we usually take for about eight o'clock. So I've been up at that point, I feel like I've been up for two hours and not actually done anything to do with work. I may have looked at emails and stuff. But otherwise, it's just been playing with my kids. So that's great. I drop Evie off, and then usually I get home, and I'm going to need to do something like um, get some breakfast myself if I haven't had anything. I need to walk the dog, which could be half an hour to an hour, depending on how far I take him. So some days, I might not sit down at my desk to do actual work until about nine, half past nine. I'll then work through the day, uh, maybe take the dog for another walk, maybe have half an hour for my lunch or something where I actually get away from my desk and sit down with some food and I don't know, watch TV or something. Uh, but then I'm going to be picking Evie up from preschool at four o'clock, so I leave at quarter to four. So that's, if I start at nine and leave at quarter to four, that's a short working day in terms of actual work. If I was in an office, it'd be nine till five. So realistically, I'm I'm at least losing an hour and a bit, if not more, depending on how well the morning getting ready for everything goes so then i'm with the kids until they go to bed at seven and then at seven i might do something chores around the house even if it's just cleaning up after dinner um or even nipping to the shops to get groceries or anything like that so realistically i probably don't start work again until eight o'clock at which point i've got at least an hour's worth of paid work to do as in pet work for my employer now this is the a really good day so it's going to be 9 to 10 o'clock by the time I get chance to start thinking about doing things like open source or more my side projects. 
And I quite often just really struggle to get motivated. And if you really, and that's a good day in terms of time where I haven't had to do other things and take care of other things around the house or take kids elsewhere. And, or maybe our child, my my mum can't look after Rowan. So I've looked after Rowan for the afternoon. So if I'm really struggling to be motivated to do some side project work at nine, at 10 o'clock at night on a good day, I'm really going to struggle on a bad day. And I think that's where I'm at basically. So that one and a half hours I've probably got done on repo box was probably on a good day. Uh, and I don't know. I just, uh, it seems quite difficult to, to get all that time in. Um, one thing I would say is that so on an average day, I play with the kids for two hours before they go anywhere. And then I'm there from when they get home, which is at four o'clock to when they go to bed, which is a lot more than a lot of dads. And I know a lot of dads have to work offices. They have to have commutes. And there's plenty of dads who get in, get home after their kids have gone to bed. I'm quite sure. So I, do sometimes think to myself for all your frustrations and it's hard you know i'm i'm there all the time for my kids at this age as well which is really good uh but yeah it's just frustrating isn't it yeah i've i've found that i i don't know what what the reasons are and i want to attribute it to age uh not to sound ageist or anything but after it used to be when I was younger um, and didn't have a son and was single that I would regularly work until two or three in the morning and I would, you know, come home, I would, you know, eat supper or whatever. Um, and then maybe watch TV for a little bit. And then I'd get on my computer and work, um, mm. I'd work on side projects, fun things, you know, five, six hours at a time, uh, being really super excited about things, either like early days of, my my old frameworks that I used to work on and whatnot, um, anything like I was just always coding. I was always excited about it, but now like for a little while, I was I was trying to tell Beck that if enough time passes from when I last worked, uh, I'm not going to want to get back into it again. So if I get mm. done working and head upstairs at like five five p.m., you know, have an early early supper or something, if we don't get Luke to bed until nine which sometimes happens, that's like four hours that I'm so out of work for the day that the thought of going downstairs and working for another hour or two even at nine o'clock at night, it's like, why bother? It's going to take me so long to get into the swing of things again and to get my mind into whatever problems that I want to solve that I'm not going to be wanting to do that. Like I'm, I'm just going to be getting going at the time I should be going to sleep because, you know, Luke, Luke wakes up pretty regularly between six and seven now, closer to the six o'clock side. Um, and we, we bring him into bed with us and we kind of snuggle and whatnot. And by, by about seven or so where everyone's like fully awake and ready to get dressed. Um, so if I want to get a decent night's sleep, I need to go to bed by 10. Um, and that, that doesn't happen very regularly anyway, even if yeah. I'm not trying to do work. So I, I don't know. It's a, Listening to to Luke's story, talking about needing to work at night, um, I've actually tried that the last two weeks, I think. Um, I've been trying really hard to get myself motivated to go downstairs and get started. And if that means that I'm going to work until 1 a.m., 2 a.m., that's just what has to happen. Because I want to do these things, and 
for the last six months to a year, I haven't been just because it's been so hard and I just, I just need to fight through it. Um, it has meant that I've been more tired lately, <laughs> uh, just because I, I feel like I, like, uh, Beck and Luke were gone for two days this week. And on those two days, I stayed up until 3am and 4am and work got a lot of work accomplished and was, but I was also able to sleep until eight or nine on those days. Um, yeah. and still sort of, you know, when I woke up at eight, I just quickly showered, put my clothes on and got to work again by eight thirty. So it wasn't like waking up with Luke and Beck where, you know, an hour or two passes kind of like what you were saying, like before you actually can get to work, like when they aren't there, if I get up at eight, it's not a big deal. If I don't get up until eight, when, you know, it's going to be two hours before I get to work, that's, that hurts things quite a bit. So, yeah. Um, and you know, I, it, last night I didn't do that and I've, I've kind of felt bad about it. Um, I was actually one of the things that, um, was it James Porter? Yeah. James Porter, uh, mentioned that like, um, on the finding, finding the time, how do you feel when you don't? And I feel pretty bad about it. And I'll have to talk to Beck about this later, but she even asked, she asked me today if I was all right. She said, you seem kind of grumpy. And I was like, ah, it's, I'm just tired and I got to get downstairs and get ready to go. And I've, I've got a lot of work to do today and the podcast is going to be two hours. And so I'm not going to get to start working till, you know, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock and feeling kind of behind on Palantir and so I was kind of grumpy and she said, is it cause you, um, are you mad because you didn't work last night? <laughs> and I was like, I don't remember if I said yes or no. Sometimes I say no, even though I should say yes, <laughs> uh, just cause I, I'm feeling self-conscious about it, but I should have said yes, because I, I was feeling grumpy about it because I was like, you know what? We, we, uh, we, we've been watching the blacklist and watching TV in bed at night is really nice because, you know, I, I don't get to spend a lot of time with Beck otherwise. So we've been, watching a new show. Um, so I wanted to watch the last episode with her because there was kind of a cliffhanger two-part episode that we watched uh, Sunday night. And then we didn't get to watch it again until last night because she was gone. Um, so I, I, I really wanted to, but anytime we do that, I, I feel like it's a, a big waste to spend, you know, two to three hours because it's never just one episode. Um, and it's really easy to get sucked into watching TV for way too long. And I was super tired because I'd been up till 3am the night before, um, still had to get up at seven yesterday. I, I just wanted to relax and, and didn't want to work. I didn't want to go downstairs and finish the last hour or two of work that I should have been doing. And yeah, it, it really, it really can be hard to deal with the guilt in that sort of situation, even though it's just self-imposed. Like yeah. I have these, Yeah. I, I have a real problem with uh, not having any kind of just time for me just on my own, but not working. Like, so I could work till midnight and then I'd still want to watch a, a television for an hour or half an hour, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I end up doing it. Like I did it last night. I mean, it was midnight, I think when I went to bed and I put an episode of Dexter on, uh, mm -hmm. which meant I was up till nearly, nearly 1am. And I've been doing that a lot recently. I haven't been reading much. I've been watching, almost doing a bit of catch up on movies from recently and uh, TV shows. And even I've started watching a few documentaries um, on Netflix. Just I quite enjoy them. And, you know, they're good to put on periodically. And I'll watch a bit now, watch a bit later. And, um, yeah, so that's kind of something for me. I want to have, I want to watch a little bit of telly 
Uh, mm. And when you've got this much work going on, you end up, you know, not only do I find it hard to find the time just with my normal work and the kids and Rebecca and spending time with Rebecca to do side projects as well, you know. I know, I know you have to compromise. It's just sometimes I'm not prepared to make that compromise. Yeah. Uh, and the thing that bothers me, so not, not only is it you feel bad about not having spent the time and then you feel bad about how are you going to have to catch up today or whatever. But the other thing with the projects like that is I kind of feel sort of not worried, but getting to market is really important with something like a product. Mm-hmm. And if somebody else went to market, would like if somebody, a dedicated team, decided to build repo box. They'd do it, you know, two or three people would do it in less than a week, I'm quite sure. Mm-hmm. So all the time I'm managing to do an hour and a half on an evening once a week. At the back of my mind, I was thinking, God, somebody's going to do this before me, mm-hmm. you know. And then I don't mind so much as them doing it before me. If somebody else built it and it was out there, I'd be like, oh, cool, it's another useful tool for everybody. It's the fact that I'd have spent quite a lot of time thinking about this, quite a lot of time actually doing it, and it'd just be pretty much wasted. Uh, I could have been doing something else. So, yeah. Uh, one of the things I have done a, f- a few times in the last couple of weeks, I mentioned talk about watching television, uh, where I've, if I've got to a point during the day, where, during work, where I've become really like I'm, I'm stuck on something or... I can't get my head around something. I can't work something out. I don't know how best to approach something. If I'm, you know, struggling to actually get going with my work, I've actually start, you know, to hell with it. Stop my work and done my hours worth of television, watched an episode of something during the day, you know, and then gone back to work. And that might mean that on the evening, when I might have been thinking, right, it's time to sit down and watch a bit of telly or wanting that. I've got it out of the way during the day. I've seen that episode of whatever it is and I might be able to get more work done. And that's worked okay for me, but it's usually been work work. It's not been side project work. So it meant meant I I was able to do an extra work of an extra hour's worth of my day job work on an evening rather than anything that's a side project. Yeah. And it's, um, I don't know what, I don't know. You you probably won't know, but I don't think it's going to get anything, any better in terms of the kids. Like, um, (laughs) Because even when they get older and go to school, um, like, I think the, uh, I mean, it's different when they're at high school or secondary school, but the um, the school I went to when I was between 11 and 16, uh, finish, I think they, they stop at 20 past three now. Yeah. And how is that, how is that useful to anybody? Like, you know, if you, there's not a job, I don't, I can't think of any job that sort of, you knock off at that sort of time in the afternoon to go pick your kids up from school. Yeah. So I forever see my life being sort of like, I have to stop work in the middle of the afternoon to go pick the kids up from school, you know, and then pick up my work in the evening, which yeah. just sucks any sort of chance of me getting onto side projects away from underneath my feet. And now I know I could pay for the kids to go to after school club, but that costs money. And also, it kind of feels like a bit, a bit like I'm cheating, really, when I'm at home anyway. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm hoping once I pick them up, then I'll be able to come home and do some work, and they'll keep themselves busy or whatever. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, how far away do you 
do your kids live from school or how far away do you live from your kid's school rather um so when evie goes to school in september we're it's easy walking distance Mm -hmm. when she goes to the high school as you call it um it's within walking distance but it is quite a trek um you know if the weather was particularly bad i wouldn't want her to walk Mm -hmm. um you know, so I, I mean, whether it's, I mean, even when the the younger anyway, they won't be walking on their own. Yeah. Um. So whatever happens, you have to do something. Uh. Yeah. We we until, we had until they're much buses. older. We had school buses that would take people to a lot of places. Didn't didn't always go everywhere that you needed to go, but um. At least when I I remember when we were littler, like there were a lot of school buses to go around and pick up kids on on corners yeah. and whatnot and take them to school. So I had but, but okay, so that would be better for me if they got the bus home. Mm-hmm. But then they still got to someone's got to be home to have them. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Um. So if if I was in an office job and Rebecca was at school, because I mean Rebecca's school doesn't, I don't think she's allowed to leave till quarter to four, which is still early compared to a lot of offices. Mm-hmm. But it's you know obviously the kids are gone before the teachers are gone. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'd, that just seems it seems awkward to me. In fact, um, in fact, so here, if you send your children to daycare, it sounds like most kids who go to daycare, so those are kids that are below four or five, spend more time at daycare than the kids who go to school when they're sixteen. <laughs> Which seems yeah. silly to me, you know. These are these kids who are sixteen. Don't forget, we're, we're supposed to be preparing them for a job. Yeah. Yet they're only doing six and a half hours a day. You know. At school, um, it seems silly to me, but yeah. I don't know. There must be some reason for it. Uh, maybe something to do with the way they learn and things. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, so that, my story is pretty much on an evening. I usually have work, work to catch up with, and after I've done that, I find it hard to motivate myself into finding the time for my side projects. Yeah, I. I so, a longer term thing for me. Uh, has been time management stuff. We've talked about that a little bit on IRC. Um, and I've been experimenting more with stuff this week. But my, I, I have the problem right now with my consulting business that I have too much work, which is a awesome problem to have in a sense, but, but also not. Um, you know, back in January through March, I was struggling. I was wondering if I was going to find more than one client who only had 10 hours worth of work for me. Um, but I'm at a point now where I have way more than I can do myself. Um, you know, and I've, I've been working with people to do some subcontracting things, but even that takes time. And, um, I'm sad to say that my, my subcontractor that I work with primarily has not had a lot of work to do. And that's mostly because I haven't, I haven't had the time to prepare stuff for him to work on. Mm. Um, but I have, I have too much work to do. Part of the problem was that I based everything around um, 20 hours um, per client per week. So I had this idea in my head that 40 hours a week is reasonable. I'd like to do 40 hours a week. So I would bring people on and say, yeah, I'll work 20 hours a week for you. And yeah, I'll work 20 hours a week for you. And then I'm full. Um, and then I had another person come on and say, yeah, well, I only need 10 hours a month. I'm like, well, I can probably fit 10 hours in throughout the month. Um but when I look back at my, my actual log of billable hours, 
I'm not coming anywhere near 40 hours. It's it's closer to 20 to 25. And it's it's not a case of um, not having enough work to do. It's a case of what am I doing with the other 30 hours that I'm working at my computer during the week. Um, yeah. It, there was a... I have no way to account for it. And, you know, some of it's the errands like you're talking about. Like, we've done a lot of doctor trips this year. Uh, we've done a lot of traveling this year. But this is like a normal full work week where I haven't been interrupted. Um, it's much closer to 20 to 25 hours that I'm actually able to bill people. Um, so I've, I've yeah. been trying to look really closely at where my time has been spent. And a lot of it has been spent on um, just chatting in IRC with open source things. And, you know, doing research on things that I don't really need to do. I'm embarrassed by how much time I spend uh, preparing for travel. Like, how much time did it take me to find my tickets for Benelux? Uh, probably two or three hours of looking to see, well, you know, there's this if this flight leaves at this time, at that time. Um, yeah. Is it really worth $200 extra to, you know, fly in, you know, earlier on that day or not have as long of a layover? And, you know, it's at, at the end of the day that 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 $200 that I, I may potentially be saving, you know, if I spend three hours on that, I've burned through way more than two, you know, yeah. $200 value there. Um, I, I did a, a lot of that when we went on our, our other trips to London and Paris, I spent so much time researching phone plan options and how do I get a SIM card and all these things that were just not useful at all to anybody, but I get stuck on them so easily. Um, yeah. So the thing that I've, I've decided is and, and I've been implementing this the last two weeks. Um, I've, I've turned off my email. Like um, basically all of my notifications on my computer, I'm turning them off. I'm, I'm signing out of IRC more if I can. Um, I'm turning off Twitter because I can't tell you how many times I just alt tab Twitter just to see if what someone said because there's always something new. Um, and so I've, I'm turning that off. I've turned off uh, all of the chat stuff. Uh, the only thing that I have, um, I had Do Not Disturb set for a little while on my MacBook Pro, but I eventually turned that off because I wanted messages from Beck, um, which she can be a huge source of distraction, but I also want to make sure that she can contact me if she needs to because I'm not getting notifications anymore. And yeah. I would say for the last two weeks, I've had Do Not Disturb set on my iPhone full time. Uh, so whether I'm at my desk or out with the family, um, it's just always on. And it's crazy how much email I get. Like when I look after working for three hours, I'll be like, there's like 40 emails here that I would have processed in that time. And that would have taken away from all of my other work. So I've, I've felt far more productive. Yeah. Especially and broke, this last broke your week. context. And you... Yeah, every time, every time. And it's just the, the, the little things that, yeah. So I've, I've felt far more, uh, I've had far more luck being uh, productive during the day. And if I can get to a point where I have six, even six hours of billable time during a day, that's a huge step up from what I was, was doing before. Because so that's 30 hours a week. That's yeah. reasonable. Um, I, think I think that's very reasonable. I, I, um, I've had a number banded around about 1,000. Like aiming for 1,000 billable hours a year is mm -hmm. good for a freelancer. And people, you should definitely not set your rate lower than that. Yeah. You know, as you, to be in terms of like cost of living and everything um, and a thousand hours per week if you just say you're going to have a few weeks uh, holiday time um it's only like 20 hours a week you know to shoot for so yeah so yeah. 30 hours is really good i think yeah so and i and i 
also think that, you know, there's, there's so many projects that I want to work on on my own that if I, the problem that I would have is if I got to six o'clock and only had three or four billable hours that day, I'd be really depressed and wouldn't feel like I could actually, well, not really depressed, but I would feel bad about it. I'd feel guilty. And then that would contribute to me not wanting to work at night because what am I going to work on? Billable hours or my side projects? And in that battle, I'm just going to go watch TV and fall asleep. <laughs> you know, I, it was, it, I think that helped contribute to that. So I, I, I'm hoping that the more that I do during the day, the more I'm going to feel like I want to work on things at night and feel like I deserve it. Whereas before I didn't feel like I deserved it. I felt like I, you know, didn't do anything at all, all day, even though I was actively working at my computer for, you know, from eight o'clock all the way up until even six o'clock. I, I didn't feel like I had anything to show for the day and it was starting to feel really pretty, pretty bad. Uh, the other thing that I decided to do to try and help was I got rid of the 10 hour a week, uh, 10 hour a month project, which was mm. actually pretty hard. I haven't, I haven't had to turn down a project or um, basically back out of a contract before, but <clears throat> you know, I, I wanted to make sure that they knew that I would help the transition along. Um, but that it just wasn't, I didn't foresee it getting any better. You know, when I real when I look at how much time I actually have, it just didn't make sense to to keep doing that. The project was getting behind, and I just I I just wanted to be upfront with them and said, you know what, if there's someone else that can do this, let's let's transition it. Um, I also uh, one of my other clients, um, I'd, I'd previously told them 20 hours a week, and I scaled them back to 15 and said, you know what, I can't, I, I I'm really behind on a bunch of other projects, and that contract is going on longer than I expected which is awesome. I'm super excited about that. But um, there's an even older client that has just sort of been getting screwed, if you will, um, because I keep getting these other things and they actually have like real real world deadlines. Like, hey, this needs to be done next week. Whereas this was a longer project that I just expected to have 20 hours a week. I was going to throw at it. Well, if I was only actually getting, you know, 20 to 30 hours a week max, and I had that actually working with clients that I was talking to daily, as opposed to someone like far off in the distance that this is going to get done eventually. They they were maybe mm -hmm. getting five to ten hours total a week, if even. Um, I think I think in November I I probably only did like f five hours total for them, which really made me feel pretty pretty crummy. So I've I've looked at this and and have been talking to everybody and kind of realigning everyone because this it's it's really hard to balance all of this and. You know, I, I keep expecting that I can work like I did 10 years ago when I was single and younger and excited and could just, you know, work until 5 a.m. every day and sleep until 10 and call it good. But, you know, real world doesn't look like that anymore. And uh, I, I just need to learn how to to kind of figure out what reality is actually like. And it's, yeah, it's been a learning process. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm. Um... There's something you reminded me that I've actually done recently as well is uh, if I've got behind on my work uh, because we've lacked childcare or because we had something to do together as a family or something, um, a couple of times in the last couple of months, rather than killing myself catching up on the evenings, I've kind of said, look, no, just deal with it, Dave. You're going to have to work at the weekend. Even if it's only half a day, you know, I mentioned before that Evie goes to dance class on a Saturday morning. You know, if for whatever reason 
I haven't been able to get my work done. I can say to Rebecca, you take Evie to dance class, go see your mum and dad. And I'll work Saturday morning. I can get three to four hours in and catch up quickly in one big lump rather than on an evening when I feel tired and I'm doing other things like having dinner and or whatever it may be. Uh, and that's something I've not done much of in the past, you know, especially when I was in a nine to five job in an office because you just didn't, did you, you know, you had the weekend to yourself, whereas realistically, because I'm working flexi time, I'm, I'm taking care of kids, I'm, you know, doing things around the house and because it's something else I do. It's really weird. I, it only dawned on me the other day why, why suddenly I, I get, I'm a lot more bothered about like uh, dishes being left out on the side and stuff than I ever used to. And I think it's because I'm in the house so much. Like, when I used to work at an office, like, if there was some dirty dishes from breakfast or even from dinner the night before, if we hadn't cleared up, then I could just walk out and leave it, and I was gone for the day. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But now, I'm like, oh, God, I see it, and I think, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna have to clean it up. <laughs> you know, I know it sounds silly, that, but that should be, I should be working at that point. But because I'm in the house all the time, I feel like I have to keep on top of things more than I used to, mm-hmm. which is a strange thing, but it's the way it is. So, so I, I've tried really hard to not jump on things as they happen right away, but I'm still not able to do that in certain situations where if I'm really excited about something or if something seems really important to me. Um, so about the only time that my my new system has broken down was um i got a i i have been checking my phone still just to see if anything important is there but i don't process it i'll just scroll through like like twitter mentions emails that have come in or whatever just to see um i, I do that maybe like once an hour when i remember um but i happen to see uh chris hart just tweet something a question about sculpin uh because he was in the process of trying to migrate his blog to sculpin again and mm. There's certain people who have like big audiences that I'm a little more sensitive to, I guess. Um, and so I wanted to help like immediately. Like I wanted to jump in and make sure that this process was was going to go smoothly. And um, he had actually tried to do it around the time of tech, I think. Like he looked at it and he ran into so many problems that were so bizarre. Like his posts were coming in the wrong order. And he's like, how do I tell Sculpin to sort it so that the newest stuff is at the top. And I'm like, it does for everybody else. <laughs> you know, I, that's not, I mean, it's building a custom sorter for Sculpin is not actually an easy thing right now. It's doable. And it's kind of like, not very much of it is documented, but it's, it's there. Um, but it would take some work to do that. So I'm like, I don't want to tell him how to build a custom sorter because he shouldn't have to, it should just be working. Um, so that was like just one of the problems that he had and, there are all sorts of weird, weird issues. So I wanted to jump in and help him. If he was going to do this again, um, I wanted to try and help. So I, I probably ended up spending an hour, hour and a half that morning, uh, along with other people in the, the Sculpin channel on Freenode, trying to help. But I, I felt okay about it, but I was also like, I could have let that go. And I probably should have let that go because that blew an hour and a half of billable time for me. Not that billable time is more important than that, but... I wasn't. I, I would be more apt to go down and help Chris with Sculpin at night than I would be to go back downstairs and do another hour and a half of billable work yeah. at night. Um, so I just need to remember to reprioritize that. 
Um, that 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 sorting problem was an interesting one, uh, which I'd like to talk about. I meant to talk about it earlier. Um, kind of going back in, into like semantic versioning things. Um, Sculpin uses Symphony's YAML parser, and the YAML parser has been relatively stable for quite a while, right? Um, I don't remember. Well, Sculpin is like two years old, I think. So it's been around for a while. Um, I started out building the the YAML front matter stuff. Um, at a certain point, I had done something with the dates so that you could sort the dates separately. Like, um, if you if you get the date from the file name, then yep. generally you only have uh, only go to the day. Um, but if you post more than one post on a day, you might want to sort those so that the the newer one is on the top. Um, so I added um, this idea of a date. You could actually paste a, a full real world date in the the date front matter portion. Um, and then it would calculate the date based on the date that was passed in. And everything was good. Uh, at some point, the Symphony YAML parser, after I had done that, started automatically parsing anything that looked like a date into time. Right. So um, everywhere that I was using date was fine, except for the fact that um, I used a calculated date. So I would take whatever the date was and, and set the calculated date. Chris, for almost all of his posts, had a full date in everything. So whatever order of things that he was doing caused it to um, basically reparse date based on the um, the time. So I was trying to look at time as just right. a, a really long number. And so he was getting really, really weird results and things were coming, looked like they were coming out of order. Um, so I had to basically back out of that, um, which was a really weird bug to track down. And that was a good use case for semantic versioning with not allowing features, uh, like don't accept features on, on the library you're using because that feature broke backward compatibility for what, how I had been using it. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it was a fun problem, you know, and I got excited about trying to fix it. I'm like, how do I fix this problem? Or how do I figure out what the problem is, first of all? Because everything looks right. How do I fix it? Um, and I got just so wrapped up into this real-time thing that was happening right then. And I had this, I felt this urgency to try and fix this problem because, you know, if, if Chris has a good experience with Sculpin, then he might tell other people about it. And him telling other people about it, good or bad, is a lot of people because he yeah. has a lot of Twitter no, yeah. followers. I totally um, understand that. Yeah, and so I, I had this, this urgency that I wanted to try and help this process along. Um, but then afterwards, I was like, ah, was it worth it? I mean, it probably was worth it, but it was just another example for me to look back and say, you really need to be careful about that because it's really easy to get wrapped up in anything like that that, that impacts me long-term because I feel like I was doing that all the time before on a smaller scale and only actually getting a couple of hours worth of work done a yeah. day. And that, that just, if I'm, if I'm actually doing this to make a living and trying to, uh, live off of, uh, freelance work then I need to make sure and be mindful of actually getting that work done and not getting too wrapped up in the things that I really want to do, which are the side projects and the fun time, fun, happy fun time projects that, are exciting, whether that be, you know, open source projects like Sculpin or um, products like Liquid Forms or even uh, Rebecca's art sales stuff. Like, I'm really excited to work on those things, but 
I don't know. There was another quote that I saw on, on Twitter, actually, um, that sort of also plays into at least my, my problems. Uh, it's, uh, what's that thing called when you've got many projects you want to work on that you're paralyzed by the choice of, and do nothing? Uh, it's from uh, Joe Wal- Walnes, Walnes, J-O-E-W-A-L-N-E-S. Yep. Uh, uh, and I, I feel like I have that, too. You know, I have so many things that I want to work on. I don't know where to start. I have a very small list on my whiteboard right now of the things that I decided were high priority things for uh, if I have free time. And I need to keep those in mind and I need to constantly like reevaluate that list um, because there are like on any given day, I, I'm excited about something else. Uh, what you, you called it the madness. I think you got that from Tixing, right? Yeah, yeah, the madness, yeah. Yeah, every once in a while, I'll, I'll get the madness about something for a short period of time, and that dominates my brain, and that's all I can think about when I'm doing real work. What I really want to do is that thing, um, and I need to, I just need to be more careful about getting that, getting into the mindset that that detracts me from actually doing work and doing the long-term things that are actually going to be good for me versus the, you know, the sh- short-term uh, instant gratification Those. things, yeah. Yeah. No, I get that totally. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it sounds like I, I can't. To summarize for me, it really is like um, I spend a lot of time with my children, more time than a lot of people who work in offices and things like that. But I'm not willing to give up that, mm-hmm. um, which means I usually end up doing catching up on my day job on an evening, which usually means I find it hard to get motivated to start on anything else, having done that work. Never mind. I mean, then that's side projects. Never mind things like exercise, going to the gym, going to see my friends. You know, Ugh. yeah, that just doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, yeah. I, I, Beck and I talk a lot about like the amount of stress that I am under, and like even with like the the IBS things, like that. Most of the triggers for that sort of thing are related to um, stress and anxiety and different sort of like mental issues that can can cause real physical manifestations of problem uh real, mm. real physical manifestations and it's very likely that i have actual medical reasons for things but the the stress definitely does not help and yeah. stress is bad for you for so many reasons um so we, we we talk a lot about whether or not i should keep doing what i'm doing the way that i'm doing it uh we talk a lot about maybe i should get a full-time job uh, maybe i should work for palantir full-time or something like that you know where you know, I I have a, a forty hour a week job, and or forty or fifty or thirty or however much it turns out to be, and then I don't have to worry about anything else. But the trade off for that is that we do have so much flexibility now, and I do get to spend so much time with my family. And you know, I, I love being able to walk upstairs right now and say hi to Luke and play with him. And even though sometimes. You know, I'll come back downstairs 45 minutes later and say, how did that turn into 45 minutes? I was yeah. just going to go say hi. Um, or, you I, know, I, I get talked do, to. Do, do you ever try and sneak upstairs? So, <laughs> you know, so Luke doesn't see you so you can get a drink and then go back to your office? Or... No, 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 I, I don't do that. Uh, but I'll, I'll go see them sometimes. Like if I know they're upstairs, I'll like go say, you know, I'll be at a, a good breaking point. I'll just go say hi and see what they're up to and just tell them that I love them or whatever and just be like, yeah chill with them because i can do that which it's great but on on the other side you know occasionally i'll uh go up for for lunch and lunch turns into an hour and a half thing or yeah, definitely you know we'll we'll get talked into going out for like 
supper early at like 5.30. And next thing we know, we're pulling back into the driveway at 8. It's like, well, where did the, you know, I I had a short day. Now it's really late already. And Luke's not yeah. going to be in bed by 9. And, you know, it's it's really, really wonderful, This the opportunities we have. But the uh, it, it, it can also be kind of difficult. So she's, Beck's been super, super, super supportive. Um, she wants to help me um not be too stressed to get things under control she's helping me by uh, staying out of the way more like being more mindful of okay if we're actually mm. going to say you're working from eight to six or eight to five or whatever then i will treat it as if you're at the office and if i text you it's going to be because it's important or um, yeah i mean it, it, and it's not even always like important important but not for just like hey how's it going sort of things but actually hey i need to know the answer to this and then i can reply and then we're done um yeah. and she tries not to send me like funny links from facebook or anything during the day and you know but you know some some of those slip through anyway sometimes but we've, we've been trying really hard to try and get some of that under control so i'm super thankful that she's helpful she's helping me in that and um she sometimes jokes slash i'm not sure if it's a joke that um <laughs> at a certain point she might help start steering me toward getting a real job like if things don't get better and mm. uh, it's not really a threat per se um because i know she loves me and wants wants the best of, for me and she knows that i like what we're doing but she also knows how much stress there is and just she doesn't want me to get to a place where all i am ever is stressed and always feeling like That's i'm good. behind and always feeling like i need yeah. to make more money to pay off debt and whatnot of course, yeah. Um, so it's it's good, but she's also a good good checks and balance type thing where it's like, is this really worth it to you? Is it really worth it to us as a family? Like, it's great that you're here. It's great that we can see you. But if you're always stressed and worried, then yeah, know, definitely. it's not the right thing. So. Well, I, I think we could carry on talking this for quite some time. And, mm -hmm. But it, um, it's actually something that's always going to be brought up in the podcast because it affects us so much. And I yeah. really do need to go now and start cooking tea for my darling <laughs> loved ones. Nice. Yeah, it looks so, very dark there now. Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's five past four. It's not really dark, but I mean, you know, it's dark enough that in the house without any lights on it. So, yeah. yeah. So I better get going. Uh, it was nice speaking to you as always. And uh, thanks to the listeners. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And uh, we'd love feedback. If you want to jump on, give us a review on iTunes. That'd be awesome. Uh, yeah, it would be good. Follow us on Facebook. We're going to try and do more stuff on Facebook and Twitter. And of course, I think I think most of our audience is probably on Twitter. But uh, we're going to try and do some things with Facebook, uh, the mailing list, which I've I've been sorely behind on. Um, wow, it's crazy watching your video right now. Like it's completely dark behind you now. Like there yeah, was just yeah. a little light before. I've. It's crazy. <laughs> Can you see the reflection of my window and my glasses? And that's about it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's pretty crazy. So. But yeah. Um, we love, we love talking to people, so uh, if you want to give us thoughts, ideas, suggestions, questions, uh, that would be awesome. Yeah, definitely. Please and thank you. Cool. All right. Well, that's a wrap. You've been listening to That Podcast with Bo and Dave. You can find Bo on Twitter and Google Plus at Bo Simonson and Dave on Twitter at Dave Development. You can subscribe to this podcast and review it on iTunes. If you'd like to review us but don't feel like we've earned five stars, email us so that we can talk about your issues. You can also subscribe to this podcast with RSS from our website, thatpodcast.io. 
From our website, you can also sign up for our newsletter to get super secret extra content from Bo and Dave sent directly to your inbox. Like the music? You can thank Gorillo for allowing us to sample the track Dust Kingdom for our intro and outro. You can find Dust Kingdom and other tracks by Grillo at grillo.bandcamp.com, spelled G-R-I-L-L-O. 